0: Section 19 of *Camarack Cumroop. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James Carson. *Camarack Cumroop by Robert Hugh Benson, Book 2, Chapter 10, Part 1. It was a fortnight later that there came suddenly to Babington House old mr bedell himself up to the present he had been careful not to do so he appeared in the great hall an hour before dinner-time as the tables were being set and sent a servant for mistress manners hark you he said you need not rouse the whole house it is with mistress manners alone that my business lies he broke off as mrs fitzherbert looked over the gallery mr bedell she cried he shook his head but he seemed to speak with some difficulty it is just a rumour he said such as there hath been before i beg you that that there will be no trial at all it is just a rumour he repeated it did not even come to trouble you with it it is with mistress manners that i am coming down cried mrs thomas and vanished from the gallery mr bedell acted with decision he whisked out again into the passage from the court and there ran straight into marjorie who was coming in from the little enclosed garden at the back of the house quick he said quick mrs thomas is coming and i do not wish she led the way without a word back into the court along a few steps and up again to the house into a little back parlour the steward used when the house was full it was unoccupied now and looked out into the garden whence she was just come she locked the door when he had entered and came straight down "'out of sight of any that might be passing. "'Sit here,' she said. "'And then, well?' she asked. "'He looked at her gravely and sadly, "'shaking his head once or twice. "'Then he drew out a paper or two "'from a little lawyer's valise that he carried, "'and as he did so heard a hand try the door outside. "'That is Mrs. Thomas,' whispered the girl. "'She will not find us.' "'He waited till the steps moved away again. "'Then he began.' He looked anxious and dejected. I fear it is precisely as you thought, he said. I have followed up every rumour in the place, and the first thing that is certain is that Topcliffe leaves Derby in two days from now. I had it as positive information that his men have orders to prepare for it. The second thing is that Topcliffe is greatly elated, and the third is that Mr FitzHerbert will be released as soon as Topcliffe is gone you are sure this time sir he assented by a movement of his head i dared not tell mrs thomas just now she would give me no peace i said it was but a rumor and so it is but it is a rumor that hath truth behind it he hath been moved to these three days back to another cell and hath every comfort he shook his head again but he hath made no promise began marjorie breathlessly It is exactly that which I am most afraid of, said the lawyer. If he had yielded and consented to go to church, it would have been in every man's mouth by now. But he hath not, and I should fear it less if he had. That's the very worst part of my news. I do not understand. Mr. Bedell tapped his papers on the table. If he were an open and confessed enemy, I should fear it less, he repeated. It is not that. "'but he must have given some promise to Topcliffe "'that pleases the fellow more. "'And what can that be but that?' "'Marjorie turned yet whiter. "'She sighed once as if to steady herself. "'She could not speak, but she nodded. "'Yes, Mistress Manners,' said the old man, "'I make no doubt at all that he hath promised "'to assist him against them all, "'against Mr. John, his father, if maybe, "'or Mr. Bassett, or God knows whom.' and yet still feigning to be true. And that is not all. She looked at him. She could not conceive worse than this, if indeed it were true. And do you think, he continued, that Mr. Topcliffe will do all this for love, or rather for mere malice? I have heard more of the fellow since he hath been in Derby than in all my life before. And I tell you, he is for feathering his own nest if he can. He stopped. "'Mistress, did you know that he had been out to Padley three or four times since he came to Derby? "'Well, I tell you now that he has. "'Mr. John was away, praise God, but the fellow went all round the place and greatly admired it. "'He went out to see what he could find?' asked the girl, still whispering. "'The other shook his head. "'No, mistress. "'He searched nothing. "'I had it all from one of his fellows through one of mine. "'He searched nothing.' He sat a great while in the garden and ate some of the fruit. He went through the halls and rooms and admired all that was to be seen there. He went up to the chapel room, too, though there was nothing there to tell him what it was. And he talked a great while to one of the men about the farms and the grazing and such like, but he meddled with nothing. The old man's face suddenly wrinkled into fury. The devil went through it all like that and admired it and he came out to it again two or three times and did the like he stopped to examine the notes he had made and marjorie sat still staring at him it was worse than anything she could have conceived possible that a fitzherbert would apostasize was incredible enough but that one should sell his family it was impossible mr bedell she whispered piteously it cannot be it is some he shook his head suddenly and fiercely Mistress Manners, it is as plain as daylight to me. Do you think I could believe it without proof? I tell you, I have lain awake all last night, fitting matters one into the other. I did not hear about Padley till last night, and it gave me all that I needed. I tell you, Topcliffe hath cast his foul eyes on Padley, and coveted it, and he hath demanded it as a price for Mr. Thomas's liberty.' I do not know what else he hath promised, but I will stake my fortune that Padley is part of it. That is why he is so elated. He hath been here nearly this three months back. He hath visited Mr. Fitzherbert nigh every day. He hath cajoled him, he hath threatened him, he hath worn out his spirit by the goal and the stinking food and the loneliness, and he hath prevailed, as he hath prevailed with many another, and the end of it all is that Mr. Fitzherbert hath yielded yet not openly maybe that is part of the bargain upon the other side that he should keep his name before the world and on this side he hath promised Padley, if that he may but keep the rest of the estates and have his liberty i tell you that alone cuts all the knots of this tangle can you cut them in any other manner there was a long silence from the direction of the kitchen came the sound of cheerful voices and the clatter of lids and from the walled garden outside the chatter of birds at last the girl spoke i cannot believe it without evidence she said it may be so god knows but i do not mr bedell well mistress the lawyer's head was sunk on his breast he spoke listlessly he will have given some writing to mr topcliffe will he not if this be true mr topcliffe is not the man the old man lifted his head sharply then nodded that is the shrewd truth mistress mr topcliffe will not trust to another's honour he hath none of his own well said marjorie if all this be true mr topcliffe will already have that writing in his possession she paused eh said the lawyer they looked at one another again in silence it would have seemed to another that the two minds talked swiftly and wordlessly together THE TRAINED THOUGHT OF THE LAWYER AND THE QUIT-QUIT OF THE WOMAN, FOR WHEN THE MAN SPOKE AGAIN IT WAS AS IF THEY HAD SPOKEN AT LENGTH. BUT WE MUST NOT DESTROY THE PAPER, HE SAID, OR THE FAT WILL BE IN THE FIRE. WE MUST NOT LET MR. Fitzherbert KNOW THAT HE IS FOUND OUT. NO, SAID THE GIRL, BUT TO GET A VIEW OF IT, AND A COPY OF IT, TO SEND TO HIS FAMILY. AGAIN THE TWO LOOKED AT EACH OTHER IN SILENCE, AS IF THEY WERE EQUALS. THE OLD MAN AND THE GIRL. PART 2 It was the last night before the Londoners were to return. They had lived royally these last three months. The agent of the council had had a couple of the best rooms in the inn that looked on to the market square where he entertained his friends, and now and then a magistrate or two. Even Mr. Audrey of Matstead had come to him once there with another, but had refused to say to supper, and had ridden away again alone downstairs too his men had fared very well indeed they knew how to make themselves respected for they carried arms always now since the unfortunate affair a day after the arrival when two of them had been gravely battered about by two rustic servants who they learned were members of a popish household in the town but all the provincial fellows were not like this there was a big man, half-clerk and half man to a poor little lawyer who lived across the square, a man of no wit, indeed, but, at any rate, one of means and of generosity, too, as they had lately found out. Means and generosity, they understood, that were made possible by the unknowing assistance of his master. In a word, it was believed among Mr. Topcliffe's men that all the refreshment which they had lately enjoyed— beyond that provided by their master, was at old Mr. Bedell's expense, though he did not know it, and that George Beaton, fool though he was, was a cleverer man than his employer. Lately, too, they had come to learn that although George Beaton was half-clerk, half-man-servant to a papist, he was yet at heart as stout a Protestant as themselves, though he dared not declare it for fear of losing his place. On this last night they made very merry indeed, and once or twice the landlord pushed his head through the doorway. The baggage was packed, and all was in readiness for a start soon after dawn. There came a time when George Beaton said he was stifling with the heat, and indeed in this low-ceilinged room after supper, with the little windows looking on to the court, the heat was surprising. The men sat in their shirts and trunks, so that it was as natural as possible that George should rise from his place and sit down again close to the door where the cool air from the passage came in. And from there once more he led the talk in his character of rustic and open-handed boor. He even beat the sullen man who was next to him genially over the head to make him give more room, and then he proposed a toast to Mr. Topcliffe. It was about half an hour later, when George was becoming a little anxious, that he drew out at last a statement that Mr. Topcliffe had a great valise upstairs full of papers that had to do with his law business. He had tried for this piece of information last night and the night before, but had failed to obtain it. Ten minutes later again, then, when the talk had moved to affairs of the journey and the valise had been forgotten, it was an entirely unsuspicious circumstance that george and the man that sat next to him should slip out to take the air in the stable court the londoner was so fuddled with drink as to think that he had gone out at his own deliberate wish and there in the fresh air the inevitable result followed his head swam and he leaned on big george for support and here by the one stroke of luck that visited poor george this evening it fell that he was just in time to see Mr. Topcliffe himself pass the archway in the direction of Friar's Gate, in company with a magistrate who had supped with him upstairs. Up to this point George had moved blindly, step by step. He had had his instructions from his master, yet all that he had been able to determine was the general plan to find out where the papers were kept, to remain in the inn till the last possible moment, And to watch for any chance that might open to him truly he had no more than that except indeed a vague idea that it might be necessary to bribe one of the men to rob his master yet there was everything against it and it was indeed a last resort it seemed now however that another way was open it was exceedingly probable that mr topcliffe was off for his last visit to the prisoner and since a magistrate was with him It was exceedingly improbable that he would take the paper with him. It was not the kind of paper, if indeed it existed at all, that more persons would be allowed to see than were parties to the very discreditable affair. And now George spoke earnestly and convincingly. He desired to see the baggage of so great a man as Mr. Topcliffe. He had heard so much of him. His friend was a good fellow who trusted him. Here George embraced him warmly. Surely such a little thing would be allowed as for him, George, to step in and view Mr. Topcliffe's baggage, while the faithful servant kept watch in the passage. Perhaps another glass of ale? Part three. Yes, sir, said George, an hour later, still a little flushed with the amount of drink he had been forced to consume. I had some trouble to get it, but I think this is what your Honour wanted." he began to search in his deep-breasted pocket. "'Tell me,' said Mr. Bedell. "'I got the fellow to watch in the passage, sir, him that I had made drunk while I was inside. There were great bundles of papers in the valise. No, sir, it was strapped up only. The most of the papers were docketed very legally, sir, so I did not have to search long. There were three or four papers in a little packet by themselves.' besides a great packet that was endorsed with mr Fitzherbert's name as well as mr Topcliffe's and my lord Shrewsbury's and I think I should not have had time to look that through but by God's mercy it was one of the three or four by themselves he had the paper in his hand by now the lawyer made a movement to take it then he restrained himself tell me first he said well sir said George with a pardonable satisfaction in spinning the matter out. One was all covered with notes, and was headed badly. I read through it, sir. It had to do with the buildings and the acres and so forth. The second paper I could make nothing out of. It was in cipher, I think. The third paper was the same, and the fourth, sir, was that which I have here. The lawyer started. But I told you, yes, sir, I should have said, that this is the copy or at least an abstract i made the abstract by the window sir crouching down so that none could see me then i put all back as before and came out again the fellow was fast asleep against the door and Topliff? mr Topliff, sir returned half an hour afterwards in company again with mr hamilton i waited a few minutes to see that all was well and then I came to you, sir. There was silence in the little room for a moment. It was the small back office of Mr. Bedell where he did his more intimate business, looking out onto a paved court. The town was for the most part asleep, and hardly a sound came through the closed windows. Then the lawyer turned and put out his hand for the paper without a word. He nodded to George, who went out bidding him good-night. Ten minutes later, Mr. Bedell walked quietly through the passenger's gate by the side of the great doors that led to the court beside Babington House, closing it behind him. He knew that it would be left unbarred till eleven o'clock that night. He passed on through the court, past the house door to the steward's office, where, through heavy curtains, a light glimmered. As he put his hand on the door, it opened, and Marjorie was there. He said nothing, nor did she. Her face was pale and steady, and there was a question in her eyes. For answer, he put the paper into her hands and sat down while she read it. The stillness was as deep here as in the office he had just left. Part 4 It was a minute or two before either spoke. The girl read the paper twice through, holding it close to the little hand-lamp that stood on the table. You see, mistress, he said, it is as bad as it can be she handed back the paper to him he slid out his spectacles put them on and held the writing to the light here are the points you see he went on i have annotated them in the margin first that thomas fitzherbert be released from derby gull within three days from the leaving of topcliffe for london and that he be no more troubled neither in fines nor imprisonment next that he have secured to him so far as the laws shall permit all his inheritance from Sir Thomas, from his father, and from any other bequests, whether of his blood relations or no. Thirdly, that Topcliffe do persecute to the death, the lawyer paused, cast a glance at the downcast face of the girl, to persecute to the death his uncle, Sir Thomas, his father, John, and William Bassett, his kinsman. And in return for all this, Thomas Fitzherbert, shall become her grace's sworn servant that is mistress manners her grace's spy pursuivant informer and what not and that he shall grant and secure to richard topcliffe esquire and to his heirs for ever the manners of overpadley and netherpadley on the derwent with six messages two cottages ten gardens ten orchards a thousand acres of land five hundred acres of meadowland six hundred acres of pasture three hundred acres of wood a thousand acres of firs and heath in padley grinderford and leham in the parish of herdersage in consideration of eight hundred marks of silver to be paid to thomas fitzherbert esq etc the lawyer put the paper down and pushed his spectacles on to his forehead this is a legal instrument asked the girl quietly still with downcast eyes it is not yet fully completed but it is signed and witnessed it can become a legal instrument by topcliffe's act and it would pass muster is it signed by mr thomas he nodded she was silent again he began to tell her of how he had obtained it and of george's subtlety and good fortune But she seemed to pay no attention. She sat perfectly still. When he had ended, she spoke again. A sworn servant of her grace, she began. Topcliffe is a sworn servant of her grace, he said bitterly. You may judge by that what Thomas Fitzherbert hath become. We shall have his hand, too, against us all, then? Yes, mistress, and what is worse, this paper, I take it? He tapped it. This paper is to be a secret for the present.' "'Mr. Thomas will still feign himself to be a Catholic with Catholics "'until he comes into all his inheritances, "'and meantime he will supply information to his new masters. "'Why cannot we expose him? "'Where is the proof he will deny it?' she paused. "'We can at least tell his family. "'You will draw up the informations? I will do so. "'And send them to Sir Thomas and Mr. Bassett? I will do so.' THAT MAY PERHAPS PREVENT HIS INHERITANCE COMING TO HIM AS QUICKLY AS HE THINKS. THE LAWYER'S EYES GLEAMED. AND WHAT OF MRS. THOMAS, MISTRESS? MARJORIE LIFTED HER EYES. I DO NOT THINK A GREAT DEAL OF MRS. THOMAS, SHE SAID. SHE IS HONEST, I THINK, BUT SHE COULD NOT BE TRUSTED WITH A SECRET. BUT I WILL TELL Mistress BABINGTON, AND I WILL WARN WHAT PRIESTS I CAN. AND IF IT LEAKS OUT, IT MUST LEAK OUT and yourself. Can you meet Mr. Thomas again just now? He will be out in three days. Marjorie drew a long breath. No, sir, I cannot meet him. I should betray what I felt. I will make excuses to Mrs. Thomas and go home to-morrow. End of Book Two Chapter Ten Recording by James Carson